Oh, thanks for your giving today. It's good to see you all here. My name is Tom, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. And we are on the fourth week of our March through the Lent season, which is sort of these six weeks leading up to our remembering the Passion of the Christ, the Passion Week, and then, of course, Good Friday and Easter Sunday celebrating that. And so the season of Lent is really about getting ready for that. And we've been doing that for a few weeks now, going through the Gospel of John, just, a, just a three chapters, 11, 12, and, and 13. We're still in chapter 12. I'm going to jump right in today because there's one question that hangs over the whole Lent season. You could say the whole Easter season, and it is this. Why would Jesus willingly die anyway? Why would he do that? What was he hoping to accomplish? I mean, some of you maybe have a ready question, ready answer for that, and others, maybe that's a question you're still exploring. But it is a big question. Why would he do all these amazing things? Some of the things we've read about, heard about, even uh, explored a bit together already in this Lent series, other things you've heard. Why would he amp up all these people's hopes and then move in a direction that no one expected him to go? Because by now, even in the story of John, Jesus is like super famous. He's performed these jaw-dropping miracles, and he capped them all off in the, in the Gospel of John by raising a guy from the dead. And not just some guy that somebody knew that was passed on third, fourth hand, but like that guy standing right over there. You know, yeah, him with the two women. That guy. He was dead last week. And there's a whole bunch of people that knew that, and a whole bunch of people that went to his funeral and heard them eulogized and all that. And he's alive. He's walking around because Jesus raised him from the dead. And because of Jesus and the things he was doing, people are now coming to believe that he's actually the king that everybody's been looking for. That he's the one who, under God, was going to bring a new exodus to them, was going to cast off wicked Rome and restore the kingdom of Israel. His fame was spreading up and down the country and is even now beginning to spill over the borders of Israel. Listen to this. Backing off a little bit and catching some of last week's passage. Um, I'm, I'm picking up in, in verse 18 of chapter 12. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, referring specifically to Lazarus being raised from the dead, they went out to meet him. Remember, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. People go out to meet him because of this amazing thing he's done. The Pharisees, that's this sect, religious sect that just hated Jesus, they said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. And what they mean by that is ignoring Jesus and hoping he's going to go away is getting them nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to the festival to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, this one of Jesus' followers, one of his disciples. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, And then Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus is getting a lot of press. Let me ask you, what would you have done at this point if you were Jesus? What would you have done? I mean, you've spent the last three years building this amazing reputation, and now people are clamoring to get a piece of you. What would you do? Jesus is right on the cusp of becoming everything that everyone wanted him to be. I know what I would have done. I'd have tried to use my influence to bring some needed change around these parts. 
I'd use the momentum created to finally clean some house. I'd use my fame to speak out against against those who were being ignored by the establishment. I'd stand up for the little guys. At least I'd tell myself I would. You know, I, 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 I'd grow my following even larger so I could really begin to start shaping society. I'd probably make some friends in high places now that I could get those doors open. I'd cozy up to the right people so that I could really affect some change. I wouldn't want to squander my newfound power. I'd want to use it for good. I'd want to use it for God. I want to finally make some things right around here. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? Riding the crest of this wave of glory, Jesus just kind of dives off into the deep water. He doesn't seem to see his popularity as something to be groomed. He doesn't see his fame as something to be leveraged. Instead, at the very apex of his greatest societal power, Jesus just gives it all up. Listen to what he says in response to his growing fame. People want to see him. Everyone's clamoring for him. Jesus replied, verse 23, I think this was printed inside your bulletins as well. The hour has come for the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite term for himself, especially in the Gospel of John. Uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now glorified sounds pretty good, right? But to quote a famous movie, that word does not mean what you think it means. You know? And Jesus has been prepping them for this. You see, all along, if we've read in John, he's been referred, referring to the time where he will be glorified. But it's actually a veiled reference to the humiliating and excruciating death that Jesus had known was coming all along. And as we saw last week, Jesus knows that being enthroned as the king taking his rightful place as the one who would lead the victory, means actually being lifted up on a cross. It means dying as the king over death itself. So Jesus pulls in a little parable to make sense of this bizarre plan to give up his own life, to, to give up his own power to die in shame. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground, and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, I have some wheat here. I grew up eating this stuff. And you can eat it too if you want, but then it will never produce anything. Take out a few kernels and pass them around. Locally grown, GMO-free, blah, blah, blah. It's wheat from the Creston Valley. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, what would it take for this grain of wheat to multiply into a full ground ahead of grain? Uh, Anyone? We all know the answer, right? Dumb, dumb, dumb. Easy, easy question. Easy answer. If you want to grow more wheat, it cannot remain in the jar, right? It can't stay there. It can't stay in the granary. Yesterday, Tennille and I, um, we moved some of our lettuce seeds out of the packages and into the greenhouse soil. Because you know what? I just found they weren't doing very well in the packages on the counter. They just were not. They were very disappointing. They just stayed in the package. They didn't do anything. They didn't produce anything. They didn't grow anything. Nothing. I couldn't eat those seeds because they remained in the package, right? We know that. Now they're in the ground, and I'm hoping for lettuce in a few weeks. 
grain to reproduce must be planted in the soil. It's got to be committed to the ground. It must undergo this mysterious process of breaking down, of cracking open, of, of letting this, this life emerge from within it. You know, one writer put it this way. She said, for a seed to achieve its greatest expression, it must completely come completely undone. The shell cracks, its insides come out, and everything changes. To someone who doesn't understand growth, it would look like complete destruction. It's a very simple illustration, right? We all get it, especially those of us living in this valley. We get it, we get it, we get it. But it's so profound because to someone who doesn't understand growth, it looks like complete destruction. And Jesus, knowing what it was going to take to really bring life, to really bring life to the world, to really create multiplication, to inaugurate his new creation here on earth, on this soil, he knew that it was going to take something that would look an awful lot like complete destruction. At the very center of the Christian story sits this stunning fact. If Jesus had held on to his precious life, we would never have lived. If he just held on to it, we would never have discovered We would never have received the life that God has for us. For those of us who follow Jesus, you need to hear this. If Jesus had deemed his life too important to be sacrificed, think about that. If he had said, no, I'm way more important than those bozos. Too important to be sacrificed. We would have died in our sin. We would never have experienced the freedom and the forgiveness that God has given to us. We never would have experienced it. For those of us who are not yet following Jesus, who've been exploring what that means and who Jesus is and have been making their way around our community and are just just trying to figure that out, listen, if he hadn't given up his life, it wouldn't matter. There wouldn't be any call to follow Jesus. There'd be no offer of forgiveness for your sin. There'd There'd be no greater purpose for your life. There'd be no promise of a resurrection coming. Nothing at all. You and I would just die in our sin, separated from God forever if Jesus had deemed his life too important. But this is the game changer. Jesus didn't measure his life too important to give away. You hear that? Jesus didn't look at you and say, no, she's not worth it at all. You know? That's not what he did. He looked at you and he said, yeah! Her! I'd do anything to win her back. That's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't look at your life and, and think, oh, him? Are you kidding me? He's not valuable enough. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus looked at your life and he thought about it backwards and forwards. And as he thought about it backwards and forwards, he stepped up to the cross. So he thought of you. Jesus weighed the value of every man, every woman, every child, each one of us here times you know, hundreds of millions of people who have lived and will live. He measured them all against the value of his own life. He, he measured his own life, his own shame, his own horrific death, his, his unspeakable pain. He measured all that in the light of your value, in the light of his love for us. And he willingly gave his own life, his precious, eternal, unimaginably valuable life. He gave it so that we could live. Did you let that soak in? Let that lighten your spirits a bit. 
Let that get through. We're going to celebrate Jesus' willing sacrifice today through communion. This is a, a meal which Jesus gave to us. And it's a meal that Christians have celebrated for thousands of years as a way of both remembering and celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus for us. And in this meal, we, we come. We come to remember. We come to praise. We come to thank Jesus for doing what he did for us. And one of the traditional names for communion, depending on your tradition, what you, maybe experience you've had, you know that one of the titles uh, is the Eucharist, which sounds fancy, but it's just a Greek word that's been imported into English, which just means to give thanks. It's a thanksgiving meal. We come to the table thankful, thankful to Jesus for what he's done. We come to say thank you for giving up your life so we could be forgiven, so we could be cleansed of sin, so we could be freed from death, so we could receive new purpose, so we could receive the Holy Spirit and live the life that we never would have been able to live if it weren't for his sacrifice. But before we do that, we're going to come soon to the table. Before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Was it worth it? It's not a trick question, but was the death of Jesus Christ worth your life? Was it worth all the lives that he died to set free? When we come to the table today, and you say thank you to Jesus for his gift of life, for his cleansing forgiveness, do you think his gift was actually worth your life? Now, some of you are quick to say yes. Others of you might say, I'm not sure. Some of you might even say no. What do you say? Jesus' life for yours, was it worth the sacrifice? Well, the crazy thing is, it doesn't matter whether you say yes, no, or maybe so. Because Jesus himself already gave an answer to that. A definitive, earth-shattering, destiny-changing answer to that. He gave a resounding yes. It's worth it. The Father so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, right? And Jesus took his life And he planted it in the ground so that he could produce you and me. So that he could produce us. He planted his life to see us come to life. And what's our response? Well, the first response we make is to say thank you. The first response, that's it, right? We say, wow, Jesus, I mean, this is incredible. I'm not even sure I believe it. I'm not even sure it's sunk in, but thank you. Thank you with my whole heart. Thank you with my life. I'll thank you with my voice. I'll thank you with my words. I'll I'll thank you with my attitudes, my mind. I'll come and I'll just say thank you and I want to live a life of thanksgiving to you for what you've done for me. Thank you for your willing sacrifice. Thank you for forgiveness, your peace, your purpose. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for just making a way possible for us to actually live a life of meaning and purpose and a life with you. And so that's what we're going to do first. Now I have a bit more to say. I'll admit that. But... Right here, right in the middle of the message, we're going to pause and we're going to participate together in communion. We're going to come to the table and we're going to receive the bread and the juice. And how we do it here is we just take a little bit of juice. There's a gluten-free option. We take it, we dip it in the juice, and we receive that. And we receive it with thanksgiving. We receive it as a way of saying, thank you for your life given for me. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for giving it up, for planting yourself so that I could live.
And so what I want to do now is invite those who are serving to join me here at the table. I'm going to serve you. And then in turn, they are going to serve all of us. The team is going to come forward now and lead us with some songs as we, as we do so. Thanks, team, for leading us today. Listen, everything else we do from this point on, say from this point on, is all flowing from what Jesus has already done for us. It's really important to hold on to that because what comes next is super challenging. After Jesus talks about his life as a kernel of wheat planted and dying so that many more lives could live, he then talks about anyone who follows him. And what we discover is that this principle of of death bringing life holds true not only for Jesus, it also holds true for his followers. This is what Jesus says next, following immediately upon the, uh, the kernel of wheat. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Let's take this apart for a minute. Jesus says that anyone who loves their life, by which he means, anyone who makes these um, 80 or so years, give or take, all about preserving their lives, all about pursuing their own agendas, making life all about them, that person will end up losing the very life that they're trying to build. Simply put, spend your life trying to make your life good and you'll find at the end of your life that you've invested in a depreciating asset. Upon your deathbed, you'll find that you've invested your life into keeping something you can't keep. And in the process, you've lost the only thing that mattered. It's a very sobering thought from Jesus. Thank you very much, Jesus. Ouch. On the other hand, Jesus said, anyone who hates their lives in this world, by which he means anyone who knows that this life, these measly 80 years or so, isn't all about them, who doesn't live this life in the service of their own selves, who's willing to lay down their lives for others, willing to get up and follow Jesus, willing to get in on what Jesus is doing to see the lives of men and women and children transformed by his good news, experiencing his grace in their lives. Anyone who's getting in on that, those people who have given up so much to see it happen, they, in the end, will have gained more than they ever lost. And they'll gain something that cannot ever be taken away. It's an upside-down kingdom, this kingdom of Jesus, where the first will be the last, and the last will be first. Or, you could summarize it as, love it, lose it. Give it, gain it. Love it, lose it. Give it, gain it. I've been mulling this over pretty hard this week. been thinking about my own life, been thinking about how this applies to me and how my own life expresses this or doesn't express this. I've wrestled with it. I've brooded over it. My wife thought I was getting into a bit of depression this week. I'm not even kidding, trying to think this stuff through. And I wrestled all week figuring out how to convey this, and I decided to do something I have not done very much, and that is to kind of open myself up and share a bit of my own personal story. 
And I ask for your grace today as I do that. I grew up knowing Jesus' love for me from very early, profoundly aware of his sacrifice and then my, my, my debt to him as a result of that. And as I matured, you know, I was six years old when I asked Jesus into my life and I was eight when I was baptized. And that was a really solid thing for me. It didn't come and go. It was part of my life, my growing up. I was raised in a tr- tremendous community of faith that really nurtured me and, and walked with me. And as I matured, I became more and more convinced that nothing else in the world mattered more than helping people find and follow Jesus. Now, I wouldn't have said it that way, but that was the point. No, nothing mattered more in life than helping people discover Jesus and his love for them and his purpose for their lives. When I was 15 years old, I, I heard a challenge given from a speaker in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I don't go there very often, but that's where it happened. It was in Saskatoon, and I, I heard this challenge from a speaker, and the challenge was really strong to give my life to the service of Jesus, to commit the rest of my life to what God wanted. And I felt very compelled to do that. And so at that event, I remember what it was really, I, I stood and I committed the rest of my life to helping the church of Jesus Christ become what we're supposed to be all that we could be. I said, yes, and I really did not know what that meant. I was 15 years old. But it was a serious commitment. And I also knew as I made that commitment and as I processed that commitment that I was saying no to other things, other plans, other, other dreams that I, I carried. And though I wasn't fully aware of what I was saying no to or where God would lead me, I stood that day and I said yes to doing whatever it took to help as many people as possible find Jesus and to help the church become who God wanted us to be. Well, 27 years later, and I'm still doing that. That was a solid commitment that has carried me through these years so far. And you know I love my job, right? I want to see some nods around here, because you know I love my job, right? That's prefacing what comes next. Because I'm telling you, it's not been a smooth road these 27 years. It's involved some sacrifices. Am I allowed to say that? Is that okay? Are we all right? It has involved some sacrifices. And as I personally reflected on this this week, I wrestled with myself. I actually want to tell you, I wrestled with how honest I should be with you this morning. I did. See, throughout my own life, there's been times where I've had to recommit myself to God's mission. I think there's been a few times where there was possible off-ramps, if you know what I'm saying, to what God had called me to do. Even in the last couple of years, I've had to re-up my commitment to the mission. There's been times where it has felt like the sacrifices have been too great. Too hard on my family. Too difficult emotionally. Extremely frustrating financially. Draining and exhausting to the very soul. And there's times where I've wondered, what exactly is the point? Am I even making a difference? The times I've struggled with the cost of following Jesus, of, of giving my life, of giving my comfort, my time, my, my heart, my soul, my gifts, my energy, to see the people of God become the people of God, to help anyone I can find and follow Jesus. And I've wrestled with that, and I'm being really transparent here. I've wrestled at times with these feelings of, of envy. I was talking to my spiritual director a few weeks ago about it. Feelings of envy when I've not been able to do the kinds of things that maybe others are able to do. I'm not able to provide for my family the things that others seem to be able to provide when most of my friends who have less education, less experience than I make a heck of a lot more money. On top of that, I wake up every day carrying the burden of leadership for this church 
It rests fairly heavy. I carry the stress of trying to help people fight for their marriages and it distresses me to no end to see some of those marriages failing. I try to help people work through some difficult relationships. I try to help people get real about their sin, what's tripping them up. I I try to help people understand how God has gifted them to mature in their faith, to, to see leadership empowered here in this congregation so that we can become more bold in our witness. And I'm often met with resistance, real resistance. Not many of you, all the people at the first service, you understand. I, I read and I pray and I, I listen and I, and I study incessantly. Those of you who know me know that's true. I take classes. I, I listen to podcasts day and night. I fast and I pray and I preach and I lead. All for one purpose, really and truly one purpose, and that's to help you grow up in Jesus, to help this church become the church that God has commissioned us to be, to be the kind of people that God wants us to be for this valley, for this, for this community. Now, why do I say all this to you? Am I holding myself up as something special? (laughs) No, I'm not. And uh, I'm being honest about what it's meant. I'm trying to reflect honestly and transparently what it's meant for me to follow Jesus. And I'm opening that up because I'm really, really, really trying to get you to think about this for yourself. The truth is I felt kind of sick all week. Even this morning when I got up, I'm like, should I rewrite this thing? See, I didn't want any of you to mishear me. I, I didn't want you to think that somehow I'm I, they're elevating myself or that I'm wanting pity or something. Like, that is not what I'm doing. I don't want you to hear it that way. And if you're hearing it this morning that way, please don't hear it that way. That's, that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to get at is this. In order for others to live, in order for people to discover that there is a Jesus who died for them, in order for people to somehow become aware that there's a greater purpose for their life, in order for that to happen, sacrifices have to be made. They just have to be made. And of all the sacrifices I've made, all the difficulties that I've endured, all the dreams I've had to give up, all the comfort I'll never receive, and the trips my family will never take, and the financial help with schooling my boys will never receive, the time I'll never get back, all of that has been given up as part of this call to hate my life, to follow Jesus. It's all been given to see more people coming alive in Christ. And I'm 42 now, halfway through my life, let's hope, only halfway. Maybe it'll come earlier, I don't know. I'm halfway, roughly, through my life, maybe halfway through my working years, or at least my productive years. I'm, I'm, having to re-engage my calling in a, in a whole new way. And while I don't know the effects of, of, of my calling, I don't know the effects of, of things that God has called me to do, I'm beginning to see some of the ways that giving up my life in this call of Jesus has brought life to others. And that, I'll be very honest, on some days is what keeps me going. It's what reminds me that this matters. It reminds me that the sacrifices that are being made actually have some kind of effect. I can, and I'm so thankful to God for it. I can think of whole families who follow Jesus today because, because of Jesus, but because of what he's allowed me, how he's allowed me to be involved in their lives. And the sacrifices that I've made have been part of that. I, I run into people who years ago, because of some encounter, because, because the church or the ministry I was part of or have received healing from, from abuse or who now let God change their story and, and we're seeing that now ripple into their children's lives and even their grandchildren's lives. When I look around our own community, our own church community, our own Erickson Covenant community, 
I can see people who have found Jesus even just in the last few years. Some who found Jesus and then died. Right here in this community. I can see many of you who are following him and some of you whose faith had remained dormant for many years have now, by the grace of God, you've come alive. And and now, sometimes in the latter years of your life or, or maybe halfway through, you're discovering that God has a greater purpose for you and you're beginning to explore that and lean into that. And that's why I love my job so much. And I love to see the change that comes. And, but it's in those moments I also realize that the sacrifices that have made are, are worth it. The fact is, Jesus said that anyone who serves him follows him. And that they will receive honor from God for their sacrifice and for their following. And there are days when I do hold on to that. When I have to remind myself that there's, there's a promise that God has given. And he's not going to let his promises fail. I can remain faithful because God himself is always faithful. Right through to the end. Right beyond my own life. Well, that's some of my story, and I hope you hear, hear it as that. But really, I tell, this, I tell this to you not to elevate me. I tell it to you because <laughs> the question turns to you. What about you? Where are you choosing to plant your life in the ground? Or are you holding on to your life a little too tightly? Because you're called to follow the same Jesus that I follow. You're called to follow Jesus the same as me. And in the Christian life, we don't have sort of a two-tier calling system. That's not how it works. You know, I committed my life to serving Jesus in whatever way he needed me. And over a series of years and experiences in leading, God led me, yes, to full-time ministry where I'm actually paid to work at the church. That's how the calling of Jesus on my life has expressed itself. But all of you are called to follow the same Jesus to give up your life for the sake of others, for the sake of eternal life. And how you're going to find that, how that's going to be expressed in your life is going to look very different than how it's expressed in my life or how it's expressed in others' lives. But, but, it's going to be no less sacrificial. It's going to be no less challenging. It's going to be no less significant. It's not going to have less eternal impact or widespread effect. One of my hesitations in in, in sharing so openly with you today about this, I've never done that before, is that some of you might say, well, yeah, that's because he's the pastor and that's the sacrifices God called him to make. Thankfully, I'm not the pastor. But that's not what's going on here. Jesus said, anyone, anyone, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Who does that exclude today? Is there anyone over here that doesn't fall into the anyone category? How about the middle section? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? No one, right? Everyone falls into the category of anyone. Of whoever. So the challenging question for all of us today, myself included, is How have you been holding on to your life? What have you been holding on so tightly, whether it's security, whether it's comfort, whether the things that you just just don't want to give up or experiences you want to pursue, or maybe it's just your own preferences, or maybe it's your own unwillingness to deal with some hard-hearted thing that's going on inside of you or the way you view other people, or maybe it's just that life really is all about you and you like to you know, throw a few bucks in the plate, serve here and there. 
whatever, but it's not really a life given up for Jesus. How have you been holding on to your life? And the second question, of course, is what's the cost of that love? What's the cost of that love you have for your own life? What's the cost to you? Jesus said, frighteningly so, that the cost is that you could end up losing the very thing that matters. Life. A life lived in the service of Jesus with all the eternal implications that come with that. That You could end up losing the thing that you love so much. And you know what else? And this gets me every time when I think of you, when I think of me, when I think of our lives. Not only could you end up losing your own life, but you could end up never maximizing your own life in the service of others. You could hold on to your one single little grain of, you know, wheat. Hold on to that tightly. And never know the thrill of God's multiplication through you. Never know what He could do through you. Never know the lives that could be changed, the trajectories that could be altered because you are willing to not love your life, but to give it up in the service of the kingdom. If all the people of this world were worth the sacrifice that Jesus made, then guess what? They're worth any of the sacrifices we can make too in the name of Jesus. Are you willing to give up your own life? Are you willing to give up your comfort, your security, your privacy, your preferences? Are you you willing to give that up for the sake of others? Are you willing to give of your energy and your time and your money and your heart, your mind, your soul, so that other people, the people that Jesus has already died for, can actually discover the life he has for them? Are you willing to give up your life for that? Jesus was because people matter to him. And because they matter to him, they matter to us. And we want to be people who are willing to do anything and everything so that we can make sure that every man and woman and child has a chance to hear the good news of Jesus, to receive an invitation to follow him, who know that they're loved and they're welcomed by a people who know that every person matters, that every person is worth ultimate sacrifice. I want to close today with a clip from uh, the famous movie Schindler's List. You probably remember the man, Oscar Schindler. He was a member of the Nazi party who wheeled and dealed and managed to save many Jews from being murdered in the concentration camps. This is a scene at the end of the film. I hope it's not a spoiler for you, but if you haven't seen the movie by now, I'm not sure there's much I could do. This is a scene at the end of the film after the camps have been liberated, and ironically, Oscar Schindler is now under threat of being rounded up and shot with other Nazis because he is a member of the Nazi party, despite of all, all that he had done. He had to flee for his life. I want you to watch this final touching scene. As Hebrew from the Talmud, it says whoever saves one life saves the world entire.
don't know. If I just... I could have got more. Oscar, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. If I'd made more money... <laughs> I threw away so much money. <laughs> you have no idea. If I just... Generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. This car. Good, what about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person stand. For this. I could have got one more person. And I didn't. Why did I keep the car? That's the line that always sticks out to me. There in the final moments, it hits Schindler with full force, the cost, the value of each human life. And suddenly, all the sacrifices that he had made, and he did, he escaped penniless and was broke for the rest of his life. He lived off the support of actually people that he had saved. All the sacrifices he had made at that moment, he felt were too little. That Really, what he evaluated is that there was no sacrifice too great to have been made for the value of a human life, that each and every person mattered. Let me ask you as we close today, what is worth more? Your one life or the lives of many others? Your comfort? Your preferences? Your money? Your time? What's worth more? That or the men and women and children Christ Jesus has already died for. Jesus has already given the definitive answer for the value of your own life by dying in your place. And now he calls us to follow him in a very similar way. No, we don't die like Jesus died. We don't sacrifice ourselves in the way that Jesus did. That was a one-time sacrifice for all. But we do sacrifice ourselves so that others can discover how precious and how loved they are so that they can, in their own lives and before the end, discover that there is a God who loves them, who created them. There's a Jesus who died for them and the Holy Spirit who wants to live in them to give them life now and life forever. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, then my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. My closing question for us today is are we going to love our own lives and end up losing them in the process? What a tragedy that would be. Or are we going to give up our own lives and see the life of Jesus come to many others and discover in the end that Jesus will give us everything we thought we had lost. Let's pray. Jesus, it is stunning to realize what you did for us and yet to acknowledge and confess to you that we often are willing to sort of receive the gift but not understand the implications of that. And I pray today that you would, by the power of your Spirit and through the word that you have spoken here, you would speak directly into our lives and hearts and into the life of each individual, each family, into the life of our community, the Erickson Covenant Church. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would hear your call and that we would not waste our lives trying to hold on to the thing that we could never keep, but rather we'd give it up and see through our lives, see your life come to men and women and children who do not yet know you, who have not yet discovered your love, your sacrifice for them. May we be the kind of people willing to do whatever it takes to help people find and follow Jesus. Pray that by your Holy Spirit you would shape that in us. You would challenge us in the places we are resistant and that you would move us forward into your mission for the sake of the many that you have died for. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you today. I'm thankful that you were all here. And uh, we'll have a little chance to visit and connect with each other. If you're new here, we'd love to get to know you. And just really happy that you came. May God bless you this week as you go, as you work, as you connect with family, as you serve in all the ways that you do. And may each one of us leave here today with this challenge resounding in our hearts that we would be the kind of people who, who don't love it and lose it, but we give it and gain it. God bless you.